Support for this podcast is brought to you by Plot, the fastest way to create and share storyboards online. Create your free storyboard today at theplot.io. A key light, which is going to be your predominant light, a fill light that's going to fill in the shadows created by the key light, and a backlight that's going to help you separate your subject matter from the background. And that's what every single lighting technique is based on. So not understanding that is going to really make it difficult for you to capture a beautiful image. Also not introducing a lot of contrast into your lighting and your photography. And when you add contrast, that's where you're able to create depth. Contrast on the face, contrast between the subject and the background, and everything kind of works in harmony. You know, you're working with the makeup artist and the wardrobe and the production design team to create something that's going to stand out. Hey guys, welcome to episode 12 of the Depth of Field podcast, where film, video, and animation professionals discuss the art of their craft and realities of the industry. Today on the show, we have Hector Aranda, who is a gaffer, and for all intents and purposes, that just means he is a magician of light. And on this episode, he shares with us common mistakes people are making with lighting in their own videos, how to avoid them, and the basics to a lighting setup that will take you a long way in just upgrading your production quality. So. Let's light it up. All right, guys, well, we have Hector here on the show. Thanks so much for coming on, man. Absolutely, Adrian, a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Why don't you go ahead and just give us a, a background on what you do? Well, I am uh, by trade a gaffer, and if you're not familiar with the term, that is the department head for the electrical department in in or on a movie set, film set, regardless of whether it's narrative, corporate, music video. And I have 13 years of experience, started professionally back in 2005, graduate from De Anza's film school out here in Cupertino, California. Nice. And out of all the roles in, in creating video production, what drew you to getting into the lighting side? You know, well, that's just an interesting story just because everyone goes to film school, right? Yeah. And everyone wants to go in and, you know, off the top of their head, they want to be the director, they want to be the writer. Mm-hmm. And what I started finding out early on is that, that I don't have the personality or the motivation to be a director. And I found that out early and then... I took a lighting class and a little previous to that, a couple uh, projects before that, I was working with some of my colleagues at De Anza and we did a lot of lighting for one of the projects. So it was a team project and got my hands on lights, started really enjoying the process. And then in the lighting class, one of the presentations was to dissect a movie that we like and how they lit it. So I decided to dissect the project that I worked on and kind of learn from it. And then all the concepts really uh, bonded with me. And from there, I just started working on my classmates' projects. They kept hiring me out, so I kept honing my skills every single day, every single month. So by the time I graduated, I had a decent reel to start going out and work professionally. 
how were some of those early projects in terms of getting on set for like the first handful of times and using lights? Like any, was it uh, was it pretty smooth experience for you or was it kind of a rough start and, and awkward? How would you describe that? Well, since we're all film students, I think it was a little bit of both. Yeah. You know, it was smooth. It was awkward, you know, just kind of learning everything. Since everyone mm-hmm. is a student, then we're, we're learning on the job. Right. You know, they're, you know, kind of learning about, the power consumption of lights and how to balance out the lights within a home or a business so that way you're not continually triggering the breakers to to flip right so yeah you know it's a little bit of both it wasn't um, it wasn't too bad I mean everyone was very excited whether they were doing the sound or the camera work or the lighting or the director everyone's very gung-ho about the whole process how did the transition go from working on student film projects to eventually like working to get paid doing lighting gigs when did that actually happen? Let's see. So 2005 is when I graduated from the film program over at Dianza. I started perusing Craigslist and I came across a post, a job offering to work as a production assistant on a very independent feature film up in San Francisco. So I submitted my my you know student resume, my reel, and got contacted immediately and got hired. And what I've came to learn before I even stepped on set is that the director of photography was going to be a man named Barry Stone, hmm. who is of, um, he's British, but lived in Canada for many years and became part of the uh, cinematographer society up in Canada. So he was a very seasoned professional. I was excited to work with him. So when I actually came on set, it was such a small crew and I had the lighting experience that I immediately became the, uh, the gaffer on that shoot. Hmm. And we worked with black and white 16 millimeter film. So I got to learn a lot of how to use natural light as well as artificial light from a uh, from the perspective of this uh, the cinematographer. And then, so that was my first real gig. I got paid a stipend. I got paid gas money. So I was happy. You know, I was 22. Why? You know, I'm driving up to San Francisco. It was cool. Something uh, I never experienced ever. And then from there, I just started going to uh, through the Facebook job postings for the film and video photography category and just started submitting my resume to people. And then eventually people started calling back. You develop a name for yourself. People recognize you. You have a good work ethic. And then you get on people's Rolodex and you get calls. And that's pretty much how it started. Nice. Well, on that journey, what was the biggest resistance or challenge you hit on your climb up that ladder? Earlier on is just receiving no's or no or just people ghosting you as the uh, right. the uh, the new term is when it comes to relationships. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of developing a uh, clientele. Yeah. Even though that you know you're below the line crew, a gaffer, or a production designer, or a sound guy, you know you still have a clientele. Yeah. And then it's just kind of developing that cachet of people that continually hire you out. You know, sometimes earlier on, you know, you could work for you know, three weeks on four different projects and then not hear a word for the next two or three months. Right. And of course, this is very apparent during the holiday season. You know, the last six weeks, starting with Thanksgiving is always really slow. And then January is usually slow. And then sometime in the summer, there's a little lull. It's just kind of not being, you know, sad or depressed or just down on your luck when you're not receiving calls. Because once it rains, it starts pouring because that's usually how it is. You know, you get one call and then everyone just starts flooding and it's like, hey, we need to shoot. We have this short film. We have this music video. We have this and that. Yeah. 
you know, so that's one of the biggest challenges right there. It's just kind of developing that clientele. Right. And also since for me, I started immediately as a gaffer. Usually when you jump into the film world, the video world, you start off ideally as a production assistant and you start developing your repertoire with a department that you want to be part of. So that way you kind of start becoming part of the crew. So for me, I start off as a gaffer. I didn't move myself up from a production assistant to electrician to best boy to to gaffer. I just immediately started working as a department head. So branding myself as that was great, but also it was a little bit negative because when it came to having to crew up a uh, for a production, I had to seek out people to join my crew. Mm-hmm. So that was a little bit of a challenge and resistance there. And also working with a variety of directors and director photographers as well. That was a uh, that was a challenge as well, just kind of learning everyone's style. Right. But what I kind of started learning is that once you start developing those relationships with these people, they'll continually hire you on because they like the way you work and you under- and they understand and you understand them. It's a uh, symbiosis. What would you say to somebody who's considering becoming, uh, you know, wh- wait, what would you call your title again? Gaffer, but also it's also known as a uh, chief lighting technician. That's uh, That's a new trend going on down in Hollywood if you ever look at the credits. Okay, chief lighting technician. I like that. Yeah. So if somebody was interested in getting involved in that, what would you what would you tell them to consider before they pursue it? And then I'd also like to hear uh, just a quick snippet on like how you got through that hard time of finding clients, and if like what do you think was the main factor in pulling through? Is it just persistence in um, contacting people, uh, having a website? Like, was there any specific key that got you through that hard time? Right. Well, so kind of a two part question. Well, we'll start off with the uh, the latter part of it. You know, just persistence and just being uh, positive about it. Yeah. It's like, hey, you know, you're just knowing that you have a great work ethic, you're valuable to people in that position, and eventually people will call. And also keeping a uh, strong presence on, uh, you know, via, via website on the internet. You know, 2005 was a time when social media was at, you know, it was an infant at that point. You know, Facebook was starting up, MySpace was going down. Yeah. But, you know, nowadays with Facebook, there's groups where you could go to um, to the page and they're all centric to whatever location. So here in the San Francisco Bay Area, we have a, uh, a jobs board where people post freelance jobs for grips and electrics. So we didn't have that back then in 2005 through 2010. So not having that, we had to just rely on word of mouth, our website, and just continually just finding these jobs through Craigslist or Mandy.com. And there's plenty of jobs out there. It's just a matter of, yeah. you know, being you know chosen or someone following up with you. Well, I'd love to get into some lighting specifics. Sure. Um, start trying to help people wrap their head around lighting. A lot of people probably don't have lighting experience. Uh, they maybe have watched a few YouTube videos or, or probably not even that. But to start, I'd love to talk a little bit about the type of mistakes you see in common, you know, video production, even corporate um, examples you've seen or even when you just watch YouTube, like what kind of mistakes do you see people making that's just affecting their production quality? One of the mistakes is not understanding the basics of lighting. And the basic is the basics is a three-point lighting setup, mm-hmm. which you look into any book out there. And that's a great thing about YouTube. There's a lot of people that are talking about these techniques. So a three-point lighting setup is basically a key light, which is going to be your predominant light. 
a fill light that's going to fill in the shadows created by the key light and a backlight that's going to help you separate your subject matter from the background. And hmm. that's what every single lighting technique is based on, that three-point lighting setup. So not understanding that is going to really make it difficult for you to capture a beautiful image. And at the end of the day, you're working with the director of photography to create beautiful images. Also not introducing a lot of contrast into your into your lighting and your photography, whether it's still or motion. And when you add contrast, that's where when you're able to create depth. Contrast on the face, contrast between the subject and the background, and everything kind of works in harmony. You know, you're working with the makeup artist and the wardrobe and the production design team to create something that's going to stand out. Like, for instance, there's no real reason to have someone in white, in a white wardrobe up against a white background because they're going to eventually just become one mm-hmm. or vice versa, black on black. Mm-hmm. Now, there's nothing wrong with having white on white, black on black. That's where your lighting skills come into um, into play right there. And that's how you're able to, you know, via your lighting techniques, you're able to differentiate and create a shape of your talent that's going to stand out up against the background. So definitely the three-point lighting technique, not understanding that, as well as just contrast. You know, you don't want something that's going to be... You don't want to have to correct problems that you can fix with other means. Yes, exactly. Well, when you put it in the words of the three-point lighting, I mean, it, it puts lighting in a way more accessible manner, whereas I think it can easily be overcomplicated in a lot of people's minds, which is why they avoid it because they just don't understand it. But it seems like complexity and lighting really comes into place with the other things you're mentioning, like environment and and other factors like trying to control um, complex variables that a lot of people can avoid by just having a a simple controlled environment. Would you agree? It's like if if the average video producer just had a a room that they had control over the uh, windows and lights and they just had three lights, they could they could upgrade the production quality if they weren't using lights before. Yes, absolutely. You know, there's been so many times in my experience that we've been on shoots and, you know, we walk into a corporate office and it's just four white walls, (laughs) you know, which is going to be the most uninteresting location ever. But, you know, you work with the um, director of photography to find a good angle and then you light the person nicely, maybe put a slash across the back to make that wall much more interesting. Or maybe you just let the wall go a little dark and ends up looking gray on camera, which is going to create that separation I was talking about earlier. So, for somebody getting into lighting, um, what kind of gear would you recommend getting them started in something like a three-point lighting setup? And there's, I'm sure there's all sorts of different uh, options with LEDs and different bulb types. Do you have any recommendations? Well, that's the great thing about technology. LEDs, LED lights are becoming a, a mainstay for video and film production at all levels. Hey, guys. We're just taking a quick break from the episode to talk about plot the fastest way to create and edit storyboards online. Now, Plot was designed from the ground up to get you through the storyboarding process as fast as possible, with features like a flexible script editor, image toolbar, collaboration, drawing tool, and much more. It's time to put storyboarding behind you and move on to actually producing your video. So if you're ready to create your free storyboard today, go to theplot.io. And if you feel like upgrading, just use the code PODCAST for your first three months completely free. Yes, I said that right. Use the code PODCAST 
for three months of premium for free. All right, guys, let's get back to the show. It's not only very affordable for people that are starting out, it's low weight. That means you could travel with it, low power consumption, meaning that you won't be tripping any breakers in houses. I mean, a lot of it's battery operated, which is, which is great. And the price point for some of these units are very, very affordable. As far as um, brands out there that have affordable lights, I can't think off the top of my mind since the what I'm used to using are a lot of RE LEDs like sky panels as well as um, light panels brands, which are on the higher end of the scale. But Draycast as well as Brightcast are two companies that have one by one meaning one foot by one foot LED panels for for a very affordable price. It's still going to cost a little bit of cash, but it's much better than some of the other brands that are more well-known. So you're currently a full-time um, employee as a, what is your official title? Are you a lighting technician or are you a gaffer? So my title, originally I was, um, well, on paper, it's social media manager at Mac House, okay. which is a... Uh, video production agency here in Fremont, California. But the reason why I'm working here is not only do I have a background in graphic design, web design, it's also the lighting. I'm the in-house gaffer. So whenever there is projects that need a little bit more attention when it comes to the lighting aspects, then I get assigned to those projects. Got it. Okay. So yeah, you got your hands in some different uh, departments there. And uh, what I was going to ask is you have experience um, freelancing in those areas as well. And now you're full-time. I'd like to hear just how you would compare those two experiences and what ended up compelling you to go from freelance to a full-time position. Yeah, it's quite a transition. Um, I started working full-time here at Mac House on a contract job full-time contract job two years ago, actually, from to not today, from last week. The reason why I ended up here as a full-time employee, which happened earlier this year, full-time employee with benefits and all that salary. Mm-hmm. So the reason why I ended up here is because 2015 for me was the first year out of the 10 years, which actually was the decade mark of me working professionally as a gaffer, was the first year where I felt that I did not increase my income as well as my, um, I didn't progress my career that year at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, economically as well as um, professionally, you know, I, I stagnated, I plateaued that year. So I've known about Mac House because I work with um, with our founder Viet on several projects um, leading up to 2016. And I always wanted to work there. They're doing really cool things. I always felt that I could be an asset they never had a gaffer, so they kept kind of just contracting out the gaffers for projects on a project-to-project basis. So in the um, early 2016, I called Viet. It's like, hey, you know what? I have at that point, I had 10 years of web design and graphic design experience as well as 10 years of gaffing experience and pretty much asked them or told them, hey, we need to collaborate one way or another to uh, you know utilize my my, my, my creative gifts slowly and surely started bringing me on to the projects that they were working on. I guess there was some sort of a tryout that lasted probably eight months. I got along great with, uh, with the current staff that was, that was there at the time. And now, you know, I'm a major asset now with Mac House. So the, mm. the transition was something that I felt that was needed for me. 
because it motivated me in a different way than a freelancer. When you're freelancing, you're continually grinding, trying to find new clients, trying to uh, please the current clients you have. And the job security is not quite there. Sure. You know, and if you don't have that job security, then that means that your income is going to fluctuate from month to month. So I think for me, it was the time to seek something where I could be part of a larger team. And that's kind of what I, I guess, secretly or subconsciously really wanted was always to be part of a bigger team where I could contribute to an overall picture. Yeah. Awesome. And I've seen you post some really cool projects. I'd love to hear what your favorite has been or what the most impactful has been and just uh, describing a little bit of the experience of working on it. Yeah, yeah. One of the um, the, the most impactful project, you know, the project that had the biggest cachet that got the most notoriety was a f- independent feature film that I worked on. And that was a uh, feature film titled East Side Sushi. That was, was about a young Mexican mother trying to become a sushi chef. And by tradition, women cannot be sushi chefs. Hmm. So they had these themes that were being played out. Her contesting Japanese tradition, Hmm. as well as her just being the best mother possible and just struggling to make ends meet. So, you know, once we wrapped out that film, when it started making its way through the film festival circuit, racked up a bunch of awards, a lot of audience choice awards Hmm. got the attention of some distributors and eventually went on to get a limited theatrical release as well as got released on virgin america you could select it from the movies on the back seat of the uh of your of the seat in front of you nice it ended up on was it amazon on dvd so that film project was the project that i worked on that got the most eyes on it. And it was just great seeing my name at the end of the credits, Gaffer, Hector, Aranda. Um, it was a great experience yeah. because the, the crew that, that made that film possible, the majority of it was people that I worked with previously on other independent feature films. If people wanted to watch that, would they have to go on Amazon or do you know where it's posted now? I think it was making the rounds on HBO for a while, of course, since it's okay. HBO, then you, know, you just kind of have to find out what the schedules are. Right. Yeah, well, we'll try to track down a link and put it in the show notes. Right. Some people might be interested. Well, Amazon, Amazon, I think, I think still has it as a rental. Okay. Um, I know it was on Redbox for a while. Cool. Yeah, we'll track that down and put it in the show notes for people. Um, cool. Well, I like to end each episode with some practical advice. I think you've already given a great tip on the three-point lighting and then the gear people should get if they're not already in that. But was there anything... Uh, smaller or just anything extra you wanted to add on on ways that somebody could improve this week well what we want people to do if you're interested in the film industry is to just get out there and get your hands on gear go out and get on crews get on sets and just work and actually see it firsthand you know actually you know Mm -hmm. lend a hand literally and build the set help the art department build the set help the art department furnish the set help the grips and electric scary sandbags and mount lights or, you know, if you want to be on the post-production side, you know, go learn how to, uh, you know, go work under an editor. So, you could be the assistant editor and kind of learn the process of editing. Um, if you want to be a director or a writer, you know, go go meet directors and writers and learn from them. The film industry, yeah, the film industry is just one of those industries where you don't necessarily need to go to film school. Because film school is being on set. And however you manage to get on set, you know, do it, you know, start off as a production assistant and express interest in what department you want to go into. 
of course, it will help out if you understand film at a on a basic level, whether it's you know you got an AA degree from a community college in film production, or you went the full four years to a four year film school and got a bachelor's. You know, there's different ways to get in get get your foot in, but the key is to get on set and learn firsthand. And that's what I tell every single PA that asks me that same question. It's like, hey, how do I evolve myself as a filmmaker? It's like, get out there, you know, grab a camera if you want to be a cinematographer. You know, whether it's a DSLR or a cinema camera, just get out there and just shoot, light, art direct, draw. Pretty much everything that involves creativity and design could all help you out at the end. Awesome, man. Well, before we go, why don't you go ahead and uh, let people know where they could see your work? Do you have a portfolio online or should they try to find Mac House? Where would you uh, send them? Well, ever since I uh, became part of Mac House, I completely stopped all my freelance work. But you could find a lot of the work I've done at MacHouse.com. And that's M-A-C-H-O-U-S-E dot com. Well, Hector, thanks so much for coming on. It was great to talk with you, and I I hope people got a uh, better understanding of lighting. And uh, thanks for sharing those insights. Absolutely, Adrian. Pleasure. Well, guys, thanks for joining me in this episode. I hope you feel inspired to light your projects, get set up, upgrade your production quality and make your videos look as good as they can as always this show is sponsored by plot so the notes and related links from this episode will be posted on plot's website at theplot.io slash zero one two well thanks for joining us and i hope to see you next time have a good one